Welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and I like to char my salmon until it's black. Today I'm chatting with Maxime Monet, show creator of Gemuseru Machu Picchu and Gemuseru Death Beats, both of which are on Adult Swim. A little bit more about Max is that he works a lot and streams a lot and overall is just trying his best. Now, in our chat, we talk about the absolutely ridiculous beginnings of the first season of Gemuseru, how it was pitched, got picked up by Adult Swim, and how the second season, Gemuseru Death Beats, came to be, and of course, both of which you can currently check out on Adult Swim. So if you have an absolutely ridiculous idea for a TV show, perhaps you'll get some tips on how to produce it in this episode. But first, this episode is sponsored by the awesome team at startastudio.com. Starter Studio is a new online school focused on the business side of animation. They have both free and paid courses and online community and downloads to help you succeed in your animation career and build your own cool, creative, and viable animation studio. Now, you can use the unique discount code AIP as an animation industry podcast in their checkout to save 20% on their popular pro studio startup course. So whether you're looking to up your freelance game or plan and launch your own animation company, check out startastudio.com. Now let's jump into the chat. Hello, Max. Hey, what's thank up? You, thank you for coming on the podcast. Not much, just interviewing this guy about his uh, show. Shit. Gamu Saru, Gamu Saru, Death Notes. Death Beats. Death Beats, sorry. Death, Death Note is oh, another show. Sorry. <laughs> Take it from the top. Where, what is this? Some kind of... Hi, Max. Hey, what's Welcome up, Terry Ibele? All right, Ibel, Ibel. <laughs> no, I like the... I like the African pronunciation. <laughs> well, then it's, it's changed now. It's Maui Belly. The Wakanda pronunciation. You know, uh, my last name is also a small town in Nigeria. It has the same name. Oh, that's wild. There you go. What, what's the reason for it? My last name or the small town? Yeah, why are you named after a town? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a really long story involving... Not really sure where this name came from in adoption from my family history. So. Wild. There yes. you go. There's, there's no really reason. But we're here to talk about... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it right this time. It's okay. It's, Gemuseru, just say, call, call it, it Gemuseru. 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 People will remember it. Everyone's like, it's confusing. I well, think I that's going to stick like in their head. Set match. Yes. So. We call it game set. We call it... My boss, Matt, he's always like, I don't know. Are people gonna get it? I'm like, you know what? The problem is with yes. how it's spelt. Like when you hear it said, you're like, it makes sense. But when you when you're when I read it for the first time, I was like, Jemuseto. Oh god. <laughs> There's a great YouTube like auto-generated thing where they took a uh, the press release and there's just a robot voice reading it, and it goes Jemuseto Death Beats with Makasu. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's very funny. There's very <laughs> funny music behind it. So like yeah, it. well let's let's talk about this because you the second season's coming out and uh, I have watched the whole first season. It is on YouTube. I will put that link in there. But Check it my, out if you haven't, guys. Yeah. And stick through it till the end. Well, I want you to describe <laughs> it to me because my description is kind of like it's a parody of every anime trope infused with like South American religion and lore and actual historical fact. Uh, all while like probably smoking weed and playing a lot of tennis. Like first of all. I wasn't smoking weed while making it. Second of all, I've only really played Mario tennis. So I'm hey. just as much appropriating tennis culture as I am uh, South American culture. 
I would say it's a loving pastiche of what I like about anime. And of course, there are tropes thrown in. But I was going through, uh, there's another interview lately. I was just going through my old outline to think about it, you know. And I was like, what parts are direct parodies? They're definitely direct parodies in the thing. Like I, uh, I've, I mentioned in the show, Metal Gear Solid is a huge reference point for me. I love the overexposition of a lot of Japanese video games and shows. So that was a big thing. There's like a lot of convoluted world building that's just explained and people literally talking about their feelings. I liked that. I liked uh, especially both this that project and this new season. You know, they weren't huge budgets, so explaining how the problems or action is solved instead of showing it all the time or like you know, it just helps you understand if characters just explain everything. And oddly enough, Mike Lazo, when we were working on it, who isn't a huge fan of anime, he famously loves Fooly Cooly, but he's like never really been huge into it uh he's he's said machu picchu's his favorite anime because he's watched it four times all the way through uh but he also a lot of his notes were always like oh could you just explain this more more <laughs> so the show just became more and more explaining uh which i like um you know i like it you know i i uh uh, I, I I really enjoy... I mean, there's moments in the end of JoJo's Stardust Crusaders where they're just freezing time and thinking aloud, uh, which I think is cool. But I think instead of just being like a joke send-up... Like, you know, you look at Perfect Hair Forever, which is really funny. But, you know, that one it's more kind of just like, haha, this is an anime, but it's not. Uh, Jason and Marco had told me, and I've probably said this before, but he's like, oh yeah, it's like perfect hair if it was made by someone who actually likes anime. Because I do think the storytelling structure of like, it's it's it's, it's not a, a sitcom-y thing, it's a big journey, there's a lot of melodrama, and it does tie together with twists and turns. It's about the world it's in, it's about the convoluted rules of this world. It's not just like, haha, look at this. Though it seems like that at first, I, I, I took the world building very seriously and the more I got into it the more I thought about it even though I know at a surface glance especially as it starts it just seems like well this is crazy and random but it's like uh it's it, it was also something made really quickly like we made the first season over like seven to eight months and uh wow. like, including writing and <laughs> I wrote most of it I had a few people yeah, help me with like that. random parts but like I divided it into like 88 three-minute segments because I had first made it on streams and Blood Feast, uh, one of our cro our crossword stream, I had made it as like a little short that was about three minutes. Um, and uh, I extended all these ideas <laughs> into like hour-long arcs and uh, filled a lot of time with both writing and editing stream of consciousness techniques. I mean, it sounds douchey to say that, but like shit where like I'm feeling out like how I need to fill time so they're just going to repeat things at each other or... You know, I'm just going to go into this monologue that's kind of about how my grandpa had dementia. And I used to play racquetball with him, so I just go into talking about it and build the character through, like, random circumstances. Uh, and and find finding the story through that. And I found a lot making it that way. And I enjoy, I enjoy what it became. I, I think the show becomes what I really like by the end. Uh, like, I think the beginning's really solid, though it might alienate some people because it looks so wonky and crazy. And it's just right in your face. Hi. It just throws the premise right at you. But I think by the end, like, you know, it gets into what I really like about my favorite animes or drama shows. Like, you know, someone, it's like a tragic story about this guy's overconfidence and realizing him, he's being used and 
just all the sadness and guilt he has, and he goes through that, and he cries, and I don't know. I, I, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's dark. Maybe it's dark. I don't know, but I like it. Maybe right, I'm sounding I, stupid I explaining like you, it. You did a really good job of like fleshing out those elements by the end, too, because like when I first started watching it, it I, I did feel like this is kind of random and silly and funny, and I like it, but then by the end, you're like, there's actually like a pretty good storyline here, and, and it like you follow along and everything. So you said by the end it was the show that you wanted to make so now well yeah i found like yeah. i found the emotional arc and i found what the character's doing and i and i found you know i don't i just got to like experiment like you know there's something really special about the first season whether people like it or not like yeah. it is a different format you don't see 3 minute shorts that go on for 4 hours without breaks like if you watch it on YouTube it's 4 hours and 14 minutes you don't see that as a format ever and it allows for so much weird shit it allows for random music videos allowed for a lot of cool collaboration uh and uh just like moments where people can be showcased as animators and all these crazy things were done and uh but I also found like oh I enjoyed the world and the character enough and I was influenced by like there's cute YouTube comments where people are like, man, you should play basketball in China next. I'm like, whoa, someone wants to see what Makasu does next, this main character. They're thinking about the world a little. They're thinking about the gimmick and thinking about playing with it and having fun. And that made me go like, oh, I want to do more with it. And uh, so this second season, which went through a lot of revisions at the beginning, and I feel like in the end I kind of just pushed through by just making it. Still also very cheap, even though it looks... Uh, a little tighter and more uniform, and it's got some beautiful background art and beautiful drawings, uh, and we've managed to spend a little more time on it. Uh, like, uh, uh, this second season is, I don't know, it's just, it's a tighter version continuing that story and taking it to another place, and hopefully enough repetitive explaining of the circumstances that people can watch it without having seen the first one but also I recommend they watch the first one though they're kind of like even though they're the same they're kind of different enough that you know you it, you might like one more than the other and I kind of like that I kind of if I if I ever made more of this I like the idea of doing something that's like an anthology where art styles change and main characters change you know uh uh, and it's all thanks to Ryan Murphy and all the things he's done with American Horror Story that things like this can happen. Nice. I, I was going to ask you uh, about the second season. Why did you call it Death Beats? Well, I called it a lot of different things. Uh, at first, it was I was calling it After Lives with an X at the end. Um, and when I eventually arrived at one of the core premises was they had Pokemon-type uh, familiars called robotic musical battle amphibians even though they're not always amphibians uh, I was like oh there's a music element so <laughs> it was like death note but death beats and I was watching the show death parade at the time which is this anime about like a a bar you go to when you die and you get challenged to some weird game to judge your soul or something <laughs> so I was like yeah it makes perfect sense too that if at the end of the first season spoiler alert Makasu tragically burns to death at the hands of the sun it's a lot like Dark Souls meets Incan mythology. Uh, and I, I, I like the idea, I'm not a spiritual person, but I like the idea that I kind of like touch on, even though it's mostly a lot of stupid jokes. But like what are spiritual concepts in terms of their function over, over, over like 
their form, over what they look like, over the style, over even the messages of spirituality. What is the function of them? Especially when you look at older polytheistic things. It seems like uh, a lot of deities definitely represent elements that are just part of your life. Uh, and in fact, I think when like areas get unified, they start collating their gods and stories into one god like oh because this is all the water gods into this one and this is all the... but there's definitely like a lot of just literal function uh to early religions and uh, i liked taking that to an extreme with the sun god who ends up being the antagonist is revealed to have been grooming our protagonist uh, to be kindling by filling him with enough power and there, there's this whole through line in the whole story that because of imperialism, because of time passing, because of just the changes in society and culture, the Incan gods are losing influence. They're not worshipped as much, if at all, other than like maybe bastardized ceremonies centuries later, or just like some people who remember something. But, you know, there's a lot of uh, conquistador, as I say, <laughs> Christian influence and Catholic influences and perversions and reinterpretations over the centuries that, you know, that the connection with some of the indigenous, indigenous roots aren't there in the same way. So my uh, stupid uh, white man's decision on that was to say that, like, oh, yeah, so the Incan gods are less powerful. They're waning. And in that sense, if the sun god is literally supposed to be a sun, maybe he's on his last legs and he's trying to get someone to make sure he can continue to burn in our solar system. So if the sun god's literally the sun and he grooms Makasu to become... Uh, a log for him to consume in order to do his job like he's it's uh i don't know it just i liked that i, li I liked that a lot what was i talking about again i don't know but i'm finding this very interesting because it's clear that you've put so much thought behind it and and like having watched it i'm i'm like nodding my head and going through all the like scenes and stuff and also um and also the reason that the the god of tennis who is from a made-up French pantheon, I made jokes about in the beginning, who becomes, is revealed to be a meat puppet. <laughs> I don't know if you notice this, that there's a factory full of meat women in the fifth chapter. That's exactly what the god of tennis is. He's a meat puppet. It's all tied together. Anyway, in the fifth chapter, in the, sauna, or in the hot tub at one point, he stands up and his penis is a flashlight. And it's a throwaway joke. Uh, but it's actually supposed to be uh, <laughs> dramatic, not dramatic irony, but what's it called? Foreshadowing. <laughs> That he's foreskin foreshadowing that he is actually the, the, an embodiment of the sun, an avatar of the sun. That's why his penis is a flashlight. Now it makes sense. Oh my god! Well, I'm gonna have to go back and watch. There's that. a few. There's a few little hints that the god of tennis is actually representing the sun. So uh, you you mentioned a couple of things. Like one, you know, the format is like four hours of three three minute episodes that can be watched all at once, etc. And like, you, it sounds like you live and breathe thinking about Jemusat. Jemusat. Oh my god. Gemusato. Gemusato. How did you even pitch slash get this picked up in the first place? Like, how do you, how did, how, tell me how that story started. Here's the old story. So I think it was literally a lot of my ideas I've gotten to work on, which we have like kind of a mumble core, even more mumbly, less punchline heavy improv -y show called Tender Touches that we make, a little less punchlines than even home movies with premises that we made up completely through improv. A lot of stuff I've made like that came through just throwing shit against the wall while streaming. And that's kind of like, you know, the same way people go to open mics to test jokes or bullshit shit in a room. I would have a reason I had to speak an hour or two every day. And in doing that, 
you could parse the ideas you like from the ones you don't like because you're forced to go through them in your head and see what sticks instead of just like, you know, not acting on uh, inspiration at all. And I remember I had a moment where I was like, I want to make an anime. Because I feel like I, I just finished watching Steins Gate, <laughs> which is a show I love. And I just I was like, oh, fuck, I love watching anime. Excuse me. And uh, and I threw that title against the wall, Gemusetu Machu Picchu. I was like, oh, it's like Game Set Match, but it's Japanified. Which sounds like it's so stupidly offensive to do that. But at the same time, I know there's like... So many, uh, <laughs> Dave Bonowitz, my coworker, uh, his wife's mother lives in Japan, but they're a South Korean family. And one time when they were, uh, visiting them and they went to a, uh, they went to a record store and he was looking for a Chet Baker album and they were confused. And then his South Korean wife said, Chetu Bakeru. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like, it's like just, the, it's a thing. And I always, and I remember specifically, as I've said, and I'm probably going to say it hundreds of times in every bit of publicity ever for Gemusetsu is that I'm a huge Metal Gear Solid fan and I remember going to the Wikipedia pages and seeing that it said Mataru Giru Sarito. <laughs> like that was just how it was pronounced in Japan. So I was like, oh, and I found this stupid joke that was a dumb pun on Game Set Match in Machu Picchu. If it was, How, how do you sell that to the network? Like if I were to go... So I made some. Play... I started by making yeah. some. I made like five shorts and I sent it to Lazo and I had a pitch document for like a 30 minute four in the morning thing. And in, in practice, at first it was more like about growing up watching uh, Saturday morning cartoons and catching like Dragon Ball Z on WB early in the morning or something. I don't even know where it aired, but I remember like, I didn't have cable growing up, but I would, on the basic channels, I would have, I would see some Dragon Ball in the morning and there's lots of toy ads. And I had this whole consumerism aspect that I was really into for some reason, children and consumerism. And, uh, and like you know, you know, just cartoon properties as brands for kids. So I pitched this idea about that, and uh, I don't even think Lazo watched the original shorts, even though I had made a proof of concept, uh, and that was part of my pitching. I think it just hit him at the exact right time that it was like we need an April Fool's idea. Oh, ma ma let's have ask Max if he'll do something that goes from midnight till six in the morning, based off this idea he sent me. So it was just like. I mean, a lot of things are who you knew and being there at the right time. What do you like mean if people April want... Fool's idea? Like April Fool's, we're starting this new show that's not really... Well, I mean, it, the first one was a long April Fool's marathon. It was like, we need to do something crazy for April Fool's this year. Let's have Max make six hours of these three-minute shorts that he sent me. Uh, and voila, now in season and then two. And it happened. Because, well, like, I had to... I wanted to take advantage of it. Yeah. So I how, will how say, you... before he retired, Lazo was more interested in my idea for season three than my idea for season two, because it completely changed everything. But, you know, if that happens, it happens. So how did you make this connection in the first place? Like, take me take me back to when uh, young Max is looking for a job and wants to become an animator slash storyteller. Well, I so I went to a place called Hampshire College, where you make your own major. And I did, like, theater and music and video editing. I did like a radio station and stuff, but I was like pretty quick at editing uh, and decent enough with like After Effects by the end. Uh, I went home to do <laughs> a community production of the Rocky Horror Show where I was Riff Raff, and uh, then I had nothing going on. And my girlfriend at the time still lived in Massachusetts, but I was home at California. And I was working in the movie theater and doing my own like one man shows. And I was like, I want to try to do comedy. I need to do that more. So I like took some, I think I had a 
two grand I had saved up. <laughs> and I went to live with friends in New York. Uh, and I was got a place that was cheap that I shared with three people where I slept on an air mattress on the floor and was applying for jobs. And I got this internship at The Onion doing uh, Photoshop and graphic design. I'm still surprised I got it. And my connections through that, I met Joe Randazzo and Nick Gallo, who were big parts of this web project called Thing X, which I think the most successful legacy of that has been on cinema, which was originally thrown through that. Sasha uh, Stanton Craven, who edited on cinema with us at this Thing X group, is still working with Absolutely. I think he edited a lot of Decker TV. Uh, he most recently worked on Eric Andre's movie. So like, uh, But Thing X was a web project that uh, didn't really become what Adult Swim wanted it to be, but um, I was seen as uh, an efficient asset, so I, along with a few others, were offered to come down, and I was the only one who took it. And then I ended up being there when they were starting the streams, which are also still like low impact, low cost, but there's definitely like niche audiences for Fish Center, and people like appreciate it. Like Post Malone's a huge fan of Fish Center, apparently, <laughs> and downloads episodes on his phone and watches them when he flies around. Um, should pick that name off my floor. Uh, Post Malone, who I threw an onion in his face when we filmed this year's April Fool's thing, and I felt terrible because I didn't mean to hit him in the face. He looked down at the onion, I threw at him, just hit him square in the face. And I was like, oh shit, and I got video of it, and uh, it's sad, and I'm sure he hates me. Uh, but he was a good sport. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so we just happened to be doing streams, and streams were in Mike Lazo's eye, because it was, oh, it was like the old days. It was people in-house just making shit with almost nothing. Same way, uh, like, you know, Space Ghost was something they were just cobbling together assets. Uh, so it was exciting for him to see people in the building. Because, you know, Adult Swim had grown so much, and Rick and Morty's becoming this huge brand, but that's disconnected from him. That's TV writers in California with a big, expensive animation budget. He's like, oh, where's the fun for me, you know? So I think to some people's, like, jealousy, too, uh, he was giving us a lot of attention. So his eye was on us, and he was watching it, and it was like new media for him. You know, these people are streaming. Uh, and because I was... Uh, proactive and annoying enough uh he for some reason liked me nice that's so, how all that started that's the story so talking about i guess getting back to jemmy Seto, death did i say it right first of all it's a it's a hard g okay. it's gemuseto gemuseto I'm, so I'm, I'm so in my head about this Gemu i can't even pronounce it right it's okay i'm very intimidating and handsome it's okay it's it is true gemuseto death beats uh yeah. who's it for like you know you've put all these uh influences from your own experience into this show who who are you hoping will watch this and really enjoy it i want people who like getting obsessed over the canon of a world you know the same way i see people are really obsessed to bring up rick and morty again about side and back plots and wanting them fulfilled even though I don't know how much they want to deal with that. That's not their thing. I mean, it's for people like, and unfortunately, you know, we might not see the end of Venture Brothers, but like the people who like the world building in the Venture Brothers, the people who like the world building in something like Full Metal Alchemist, people who like a serialized melodrama with fantasy or science fiction elements and like getting obsessed about it and having fan theories and joking around and thinking about it. But if those same people also like kind of an Aqua Teen 
sensibility, you know, with a little stranger editing, uh, naturalistic conversation sometimes, mistakes and improv thrown in and sloppy, stupid jokes and just fast paced. It's just like a really dense My Hero Academia with more jokes about hand jobs. Oh, wow. Um, so what would success be for you with this series and getting to work on it and and like put so much into it? I that's that's an interest, and you know, and I'll be up my own butt and I'll be solipsistic and I'll care. I would want people to be excited about it and be like, fuck, I like this. I would love to see more comments of like, oh, what's going to happen next with this character or people making the little connections that I've put in there that make sense to me. It, it's doing the things that aren't always successful, which is the stuff that makes sense in my head, but maybe doesn't make sense to everyone. I want to do that, but have people try and make sense of it without it being like a crutch. And because the show isn't too expensive, I can do a lot of stuff that makes it like it's from my head and it's not by committee for better or for worse. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say that's the way you should always do things because yeah. <laughs> like it, that definitely I know working on it, the weaknesses, but I also know the strengths. I know the things where I'm like, fuck, I like this. And that wouldn't have happened if we had workshopped a joke over and over with like 12 comedy writers, you know. But at the same time, you know, there's some story beats that are a little more confusing and weird. But also, I think that's part of the charm, too. I mean, like, I, I've been referencing JoJo's Bizarre Adventure a lot recently because I've been, I had just, like, I binged the end of uh, the Giorno arc and I started reading the manga Star Ocean and finished that. There's a lot of sloppy storytelling in that. <laughs> so I feel like <laughs> the audience that I want to get, which is the weird intersection of, like, Tim and Eric fans meet anime fans that I hope exists. Uh, like, I think they'll forgive or be into the sloppy storytelling. We're like, when I'm watching JoJo's and I'm like, why aren't they focusing on this character as much anymore? Like, it just seems like he didn't have a plan <laughs> and he's just found out where it's gone. Uh, you know, and I'm not saying mine that sloppy. And I don't want, I'm not shitting on JoJo's, but there's definitely like, there's a vibe of stuff that like feels like it's from someone's head, you know? Yeah. And, and just kind of ends up uh, and I might be completely wrong. JoJo's might be written by 50 fucking people and I'm a moron, but like it definitely feels like they focus on, like they introduce characters that don't really matter and you have fun with them for four episodes. Like the friggin' alien in Diamond is Unbreakable. What's the point of that guy? Why was he there? Uh, <laughs> they would definitely, if that would, if there was more people like in a Western uh, storytelling world working on that, like if it was the, you know, I don't know, like... Even so Lost didn't just have, like, a random three-episode alien who just pops up one other time. <laughs> so how many people are working on the show? I mean, obviously, you have so much creative control, but uh, what does it take to complete? Well, uh, I and content? the four hours of content, the first season. <laughs> or, or just the, since the second season. Uh, well, there's a lot of people at Awesome Incorporated. I don't know how many. It depends on the episode. Different people work on different ones. In the first season, there was a lot of people... It was some of their first animation gigs, like, you know, it was like a low budget and they were just hiring some people to completely make the three minute segments, which is why the styles change so much. Uh, this time it's uh, it's a little it's a little different. It's a little more deliberate. The episodes are like 11 minute long. So there's kind of a more consistent, cleaner style. And also like from the beginning, even though I've mixed thoughts on it sometimes, I'm like, should I have changed the style up? I also just wanted to change the style because I wanted to fuck familiarity and say now it's this <laughs> fuck you this is what the show looks like now uh 
so yeah, it's, it takes all the animators. Uh, Rich Arenas worked on a lot of music with me. He's a big part of it. And there's definitely, I have uh, a crew of people who act in it and are close with me who kind of like serve as consultants and like it and tell me what they like or don't like or what confuses them. I don't know. I don't know if I have exact numbers, but it takes it takes a decent amount of people even to make something lower budget. You know, it takes a decent amount of people and a lot of talent. Yeah. So for you, um, like, where do you find the energy to put so much of yourself into this? Because you've been working on it for so long. Uh, well, I'm just excited and I don't want to give up. I want to keep going. I want to keep making things and I want to get better at making things and I want to reach more people and have them get obsessed over the same stupid things I want, I'm getting obsessed over. I want them to care about it as much as me and it's so fun when they do. Uh, I remember how much control I felt I had over a room like one of the first times I did stand-up and I'm not good at stand-up, I don't think. I don't even think I'm good at writing jokes. I think I can be funny but I don't know if I'm good at writing jokes. But I remember... Oh, fuck, just make these people laugh. And it just felt so real, you know? And in the same way, seeing that comment at the end of season one where someone was like, oh, Makasu should do this next. I'm like, fuck, yeah, people want to think about what Makasu's doing. I want to make people obsess over it. And I want them to obsess about it enough that, like, they wonder what can happen next and they care about stupid twists and cliffhangers and wonder, like, oh, is can there be another story? Because, you know, I got multiple spin-offs in my head. <laughs> I so got this, multiple next this, chapters. Do you want to keep going? I would ever? love to keep going. I could see myself doing two more seasons and a special as of now. Wow. And the two other seasons would take place in completely different centuries. And the special would be a direct sequel to this season. But that's the, just the current ideas. And it's whether or not people even fucking want it. Like I don't know if the if the suits want it. It's something that probably could do better on a streaming website than even on linear, and I know people are shifting to that. Like, cause uh, you know, if it's available on a website and you can easily watch all of it at once, yeah, totally. And that's what a lot a lot of executives are always they're very afraid about shows having too much serialized stuff. Um, they want it to be uh, clear and understandable, especially when people. I mean, I just watched the new Eric Andre episodes. We're recording this at the day after the premiere of the fifth season and they're so good and you don't need to watch any other episodes to watch them you could just turn on this episode you could turn on the middle of the episode and just cackle at the fucking second half you know uh that might not be possible with gamu set to death beats because it's it's just kind of it's different it's like it's like you need to get a little involved invested in the journey and in the rules like you know it's more like a a longer video game in some ways so what is what is I guess as we're kind of wrapping up, what is something uh, that somebody can really look out for for Gemisetu Death Beats? I said it right finally. Uh, they can look forward to. I don't know. Uh, how do I say? Well, I had Austin Reader, who's a funny guy, little guy in Los Angeles, who did some stuff in the. He did a live action segment of the show in season one, uh, and uh, has a role in this season as someone I like the tastes of a lot. Let me see if I can find it. He he said something specifically about it recently. So what you can look forward to is uh it's <laughs> loose dialogue, cavernous interwoven arcs, surprisingly earnest moments, and titty butt pee pee jokes. Titty uh, butt pee pee jokes. That's I think you also you can learn a little bit more about 
I think we explain Makasu a little more. I think I actually what he doesn't really have in the first season. Like we only we know some flashes of his high school life and we know that he was just so such a jerk. He just let people die a lot through his own assholery. And we know his grandpa played racquetball with him and that got dementia when a ball hit him in the head. <laughs> That's the R.I.P. my own grandfather, Ellis, who did not die from a racquetball injury. He did not. Uh, but um, I think I, I think... I think I have a full circle moment at some point in this season where you completely understand where Makasu's coming from. <laughs> but you can look forward to... Uh, uh, thematically, I think this season's a lot about adult friendships in like a really I would say shallow but I mean like a simple way like what it what does it mean to connect with other people uh especially when you're an adult and you're not a kid who like you know just lives by people and it's easy and it's just oh whatever that's what it is and like you know how proactive you have to be to be social and happy and yeah, and uh, to love yourself, you know, by being with other people, you know, like I'm I'm an indoor guy. I think I think this is a it's a kind of a riff on that because Makasu ends the first season realizing he has almost no connections. He's got a flying bear, uh, back pocket flying back dimension flying bear who yeah. loves him to a fault, but is is property. It's not a real thing, and uh, <laughs> the only person he starts getting close to in this whole in the whole first season is the person who betrays him, and he realizes he just hasn't had anything. And I think uh, 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 this season's kind of a redemption arc where he has to think about what does it mean to do better than that and make yourself happier and maybe make other people happy. Those are some pretty deep themes. Um, is there I don't even know if that's deep. I think that's just life. Those are some you know? pretty normal life themes. There's some oh, pretty well, normal life scenes. You go in it. Is there anything this else interview you're... brought to you by Zucca. Uh, an Italian aperitif that I picked up. I was meaning to get pastis, which is the French anise liqueur, anise liquor. Um, and I looked at it, and I was like, I'm going to get that. And then I somehow came home with this instead, which I had never gotten before. It didn't taste like medicine. Well, there you go. And we have three minutes left before this meeting cuts out. <laughs> yeah, you have a fucking is problem it... with that? Well, uh, we can jump on another one if you want. Yeah, we're doing a second me meeting. I'm just kidding. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share this week? Fuck. What kind of stuff? What's good stuff to share? You tell what is me your audience like? They are a lot of animators, a lot of animation aspiring people, students, and a lot of people that just kind of casually listen to this while they're working. Well, animation students and animators, uh, I think you will see a lot of cool cheats. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> a lot of cool cheats in animation in this and season, every especially style you can imagine. Actually, well, the, the, the styles it. change less this season. There's uh, definitely like some off-model glamour shots uh, instead of gross-ups. They're just glamour shots because you know what I've liked about the anime style too is it's not just like a stage where people go around and you zoom in and out on it. Like uh, uh, you know, Family Guy does that a lot. You know, I liked the the other angles, the dramatic shots, and the, the melodrama that the camera can add. Uh, and I don't know, I think, I think it would be interesting to take a critical eye to the way I've directed and worked with the animators at Awesome and the way they've been produced to see how the little tricks we make to uh, give oomph to cheap scenes. I mean, it's partly the backgrounds look pretty. It's partly like 
a common note I have for them is like, okay, we just need to shake the camera really hard and make it seem more intense and be deliberate with these cuts and do the timing right. And how much sound can just really carry the eye. I mean, I think this show is very much, there's lots of shows that are case studies for that, but this show is definitely, I know we have less than a minute, but this show is, there's a lot of, I think, cool little cheats in this show that still make it look cool because there's kind of ambitious action scenes this time sometimes. Like, short, but... Hopefully that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see it. Is it going to be... Uh, I'm Well, the other one is on YouTube all four hours at once. Is this one going to be uploaded to YouTube as well? Who knows? Uh, who knows if they want it to be. that's our time. We'll Thanks so much you. for having me, man. Thanks so much for having uh, coming on the podcast. And No uh, problem. It was a pleasure. I hope I was one of the top five guests you've ever had. The top five for sure. 100%. This Can is episode three. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Max, for coming on the chat. And if you're listening and you'd like to reach out to Max, you can do so by following him on Twitter under MorningJazz69. And he said if he reaches 50,000 followers, his mom promised to pay for his Xbox Live subscription. So go follow him. And of course, please go check out season two of Gamuseru Death Beats on Adult Swim. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. <laughs>